Working Class Audio is brought to you by Roswell Pro Audio, Gearsluts.com, The License Lab, Audio-Technica, and Universal Audio. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 187. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 187 you're listening to. My guest today is Kendall Osborne. Kendall is the owner of The Closet Studios located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so we're going to talk to Kendall. We're going to talk to him about building that studio and some of the struggles that he's been through uh, getting it to the point that it's at now. It's beautiful. Check it out at uh, theclosetstudios.com. But yeah, Kendall Osborne coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Let's talk diversification for a bit. Um, well, that's some snappy music to do a diversification talk, isn't it? Very positive. Anyhow, um, if you are fortunate enough to make records all day or you are flooded with uh, location sound gigs or uh, sound design or uh, game sound gigs or whatever... If you have that gig that brings in all the money and you're happy about that and that works for you, keep doing that. If you are not in that camp and you are making records for part-time or doing location sound or game sound and you're doing that part-time because you can't completely do it all the time for various reasons, economic reasons or scheduling reasons, that's okay too. Um, Maybe you have a day job. Maybe you uh, make records at night. That's okay. If you're trying to make ends meet, you got to do it through different income streams. And I think that that's actually wise because if one drops off, then the other can back it up or the others. So maybe you want to stick in uh, the world of pro audio. Uh, Maybe you want to do audio sales or support or testing. Uh, Those are all cool, legit things. And if that works for your personality, great. But there's also, of course, you know, audio restoration. There's podcasts, of course, podcast help. There's uh, all kinds of audio-related things, voiceover, audio books, any kind of audio repair for people. Really, if you go back to uh, Joe Tassone's episode uh, a couple of uh, podcasts back, have a look at uh, Mystery Street Recording and look at the services that they offer. I think that uh, that is a really great glimpse of all the possible things that one could do. So. Don't be afraid to diversify, friends, because it'll help keep you employed. want to remind you to stop over to Gearsluts.com. They help make the Working Class Audio podcast possible. And, uh, of course, we do sponsor the Audio Life Subforum. And that's, of course, discussion just like we have here on Working Class Audio. Also want to remind you to stop over to our friends at Universal Audio. They, too, help make the Working Class Audio podcast possible. Uh, of course, they have the whole Apollo and UAD ecosystem, analog gear like the LE-2A and the 1176, but they also have a great series of videos that you got to check out uh, that include, of course, uh, former WCA alum uh, Shakir King and Vance Bow for starters, as well as a host of other videos that I think you'll find quite engaging. So check that out at uaudio.com. Well, that's it. Let's get down to it. Let's go over to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Talk to Kendall Osborne here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to have you here. Right off the bat, just so if listeners, if you're sitting in front of a computer, you want to go to uh, thecloset studios.com. 
with an S. Go over there and that'll kind of give you a visual of what we're talking about. Beautiful, beautiful place though. Thank you. Let's start with that. Tell me about the place and how did you arrive at this place and what's your role in all of this? So, uh, so I started about 11 years ago recording music locally and um, just for my friends and clients around who wanted me to make records for them. And at some point I had been getting so busy that I, I dropped out of school and uh, I went to school for accounting, which I really enjoyed. If that tells you anything about my nerdiness, that's... Uh, <laughs> wow. I thought you were being being facetious, but no, you're serious. No, no, no. I No, I, I really I really did enjoy it. It helps me keep track of a business. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. But I got so busy that I ended up dropping out of school, which is fine, because I wasn't planning on being an accountant. I just wanted something to do that might help me run a business, right? Like, I, you could go for management, you could go for management information systems, you name it, all these other degrees I have, computer science. I just went for accounting because I figured maybe this will help me save some money on my taxes and understand how to budget and not completely run my business into the ground. So I started saving up to buy a building or rent a building or anything, right? Just anything I could find. And I looked at a couple of places around here and went to a couple of banks and essentially applied for some loans and actually had one banker laugh in my face. That's a true story. He laughed at my, he laughed at me, <laughs> on me. He laughed on me. Let's say that. <laughs> uh, and it was really, it was strange. You know, I, I know I wasn't making a lot of money, but as we all know, bankers tend to, or banks in general, you have to prove you don't need the money to get the money, which is just, that's just how it is. I eventually decided I'm going to have to build a building on my property. I had a detached garage, which I really loved because I could park my car in it. Go figure. Um, in Oklahoma, we can have some pretty severe weather, so it's nice to... We have tornadoes and whatnot, so it's nice to be able to park your car in a garage. That was the only option I had, so I saved up as much money as I could and got some estimates and even tried to estimate about 20% more the cost. Long story short, ended up costing more than double what I was quoted. Not 20% more, I mean double, right? And so I had to get a loan for the rest, which I barely was approved for. I was turned down a couple times from some people and barely was approved for the loan for the rest, but eventually built this building half and half with my detached garage. So half of the building was here. We ripped off the roof and built the tracking room non-parallel walls the the pictures are hard to capture it but there's no there's no parallel walls in there so and the ceiling isn't flat either so i wanted at least that room to be it was yeah. you know it was a toss up between which which room do i special build the control room the the live room you know i just figured it'd be harder to to make this side work as a tracking room than that side so i ended up doing that i designed the studio myself i we probably spent six months building it, and that was at the end of 2013. I had been married a couple years, and I guess a over, little little over a year, and so that was really hard on me and my wife to to make up that money, and especially when I was hoping for a loan for the whole you know the whole amount originally years before, and I had the the laughing bankers. So uh, yeah, here I am. Been here for five years. And 
I love the space. Of course, we all wish our spaces were a little bigger, but um, yeah, it works great for me and people like it here. So that's all I can really ask for, I guess. What were you doing uh, leading up to that? What was bringing in the income? I was recording. Uh, I've only had two jobs in my entire life. Um, I mowed lawns in high school wow. and I've recorded music. That's all, that's all I've ever done. And so I started recording music when I was about 17 or 18. And that's pretty much all I've been doing since then. <laughs> huh. Amazing. How old are you now? I'm 27. Okay. So this is all you've been doing. And uh, what is cost of living in, in uh, Oklahoma? You're in Tulsa. Right. What's that like? It's pretty affordable, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't say it's bargain bin, but mm -hmm. it's it's pretty affordable. And especially the area of town where I live, I live in sort of the outskirts of Tulsa, and it's cheaper out here even. Mm -hmm. And there's more space out here, you know, in town, closer homes, older homes, whatnot. Uh, I'm in the suburbs, so it's not bad. We got a great deal, and it's a little biased for my situation because I bought my house from my brother, and he got the house in a foreclosure. But most of the homes around me are they're around two hundred thousand. They're not; it's not that bad. Yeah, way cheaper than you know a San Francisco or a, even Nashville. Two hundred thousand doesn't even exist in in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, that's like dinner. That's a that's like a part. That's a some, that's a parking garage that somebody would sell. Like, hey, you right. want my spot in my parking garage? Two hundred thousand. Right. I'm always curious when people are building on their properties and what is involved from a uh, a permit perspective. What challenges do you face from from the neighbors, uh, the building commission? If you know how some building commissions are a little harsher than others, right. so what did you go through on that that area? You know, it, I think it could have been a lot worse than I really had it. It, it. There were definitely annoyances, but overall, it went pretty smoothly. They here in Tulsa, we have a lot of small business. It's a big part of the city and the culture, and I'm obviously everywhere has it, but we particularly seem to have a lot. Where I would say five to 10 homes just on my street have external garages and guys have painting businesses and you, I mean, you name it. Every single member of my family has a small business. My mom, my dad, my brother, it's just seems very common. And because that's also how I grew up with my dad saying, oh, well, if you want to be successful, just you make, you know, make your own wealth type thing. Mm -hmm. I never thought anything about it. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll mow lawns for money. How about that? And then my dad was like, great. That's a great job for a 16-year-old, you know? And I said, okay, well, what do I do? He's like, well, you got to go buy a mower. You know, I'll, I'll let you use my stuff until you can get your feet on the ground, right? And my parents are always very supportive. And anyway, uh, so going through the building process was quite simple. I, I applied for the permit to build a building and... I went through the inspections. We built it. I'm sure that on the wrong day, someone could come out here and say, hey, you're not supposed to have a commercial business. But at the same time, most of the only rules that seem to be really enforced are signage and uh, storefronts. Hmm. So they don't want people to have, you know, a frozen yogurt shop in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. But they don't want signs. They don't want any of that, you know. And that's the main things I've heard 
uh, being enforced. I've never really heard of any, you know, Uncle Sam coming to the door and saying, hey, this is an illegal business. You have to shut down. You know, so I, yeah, I'm not really sure how often that happens. I know in Nashville they're dealing with some of that right now with my my friend Lid Shaw, who's been on the show, my brother from another podcast from Recording Studio Rockstars, is dealing with that as we speak and suing the city of Nashville right. over this very issue where Nashville does not want him to have a home studio. Which is crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, which, as I say it, I'm, I'm kind of giggling inside, like, really? Is that a joke? It's like, what, what do you think is going on in Nashville? What, how many home studios do you think people have? There are hundreds, hundreds of home studios. I, surely they know that, right? Like, surely. And when you're dealing with city governments and, and uh, building commissions, it's a challenge. Yeah, and I, like I said, I, I didn't really get much heat. We did fail a couple inspections and they gave me some heat on the electrical work. They weren't happy with it because it was essentially commercial star grounded. And they were like, why isn't this residential code? And we're like, so you're, you're failing us because it's above the standard. I don't, you know, I don't know why, but they did. And we had to like do this and that and change out some breakers and spend a couple hundred bucks doing some stuff and eventually they after three inspections we failed too we were able to get the permits all passed and everything and that was funny enough that was on the 29th of December 2013 and all of my friends came over to help me move my stuff which I had moved into my house and it was just sitting there waiting for the inspection to pass and because they needed to see everything completed, but I didn't want to have, because I've got so much stuff sitting around that they wouldn't be able to probably conduct the inspection. Do you ever feel like in situations like that, uh, they can be influenced by what they see? Possibly, in yeah. In an inspection, and, and if they have any biases towards that or... I'm know, sure that to- on the wrong day, you know, if I had all my music gear in here, I might have one inspector that says, hey, what uh, what do you do here? And I'd say, oh, I'm a musician and an audio engineer, and I play on sessions, I record bands, I write songs, I whatever. And they'd say, oh, that's cool. My daughter plays guitar. On another day, yeah. I'd get an inspector that says, um, I'm going to report you, you know? Yeah. You just, you don't know. And so just to be on the safe side, we were like, let's just keep the stuff out of there. <laughs> just, I mean, call it sketchy. I... It's my livelihood. I I don't really like you said that when it comes to that type of thing with city politics. I I don't really want to give them anything more than I have to. I know you kind of have uh, to play it clo- play you know keep your cards close to your yeah, chest. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to describe, but yeah, you 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 want to be legal. You want to stay within the law, but at the same time, how I mean, how many people in like I said, even in my neighborhood, are running businesses from their home? There's a guy four houses down with a huge garage and parks his truck outside with his uh, logo on the side and he's a painter and that is his shop where he paints stuff and I mean it's right there for all to see and my my building is very inconspicuous it matches the house it looks probably something like a guest house or a pool house or something even though I don't have a pool (laughs) Um, but it it's very, very mild. And, you know, we just said, I'm just going to prevent any weirdness and keep the stuff inside. Soon as we pass the inspection, 
all my friends came over and we moved all of my stuff in. And for basically two or three days straight, I was sitting in here wiring up the snakes. Uh, we had nothing in here. I mean, none of the audio gear whatsoever. It's only painted, finished, all that stuff for the final inspection. So I was wiring snakes and uh, running cables through the walls, and it was a huge thing. And well, you really, you really played it safe there. I was very concerned because after all of that that I had gone through, the laughing bankers and the being denied loans and spending double what I originally had planned to spend and taking out more loans, and then uh, that same year, my air conditioner in my house went out, and me and my the air conditioner upstairs went out, and our our bedroom is upstairs. So me and my wife slept on the couch downstairs for about six months. I mean, we could not afford to get a new air conditioner. Yeah. And um, all of those things, I was like, I I've done too much to be to play that gamble of who's going to have a bad day at the permit office. And you know what I mean? I, I, I yeah. just couldn't risk it. Hopefully yeah. none of those inspectors are listening today. If I may, I wanted to ask you about uh, your wife and the support there, or sure. did that cause any great tension there? Truth is, over time, we we learned to make it work, and I we were great. Nothing. I mean, I love my wife. We're we're great. Our marriage is solid, and she's so supportive, so very patient, much more patient than I am, and we make it work. You know, you, you have to yeah. figure out what works, what doesn't work. You have to figure out compromises, and especially. When I first moved into the studio that first year, 2014, there was still so much to be done aside from just once we got everything in. It was a totally new space, a bigger space. I had acoustic tests to run. I had panels to place, more cabling and wiring to do. I had lighting to do. All the light fixtures were the cheapest I could afford. Nothing looked cool in here, you know. It was just, it was still way more expensive than I thought it would be, but it, it, I still tried to do it as affordably as possible. But we got through it. You know, it was hard. That first year was really hard. And I definitely would say that I, I owe my wife a lot of thanks for that, for, for being so patient in those, especially in those first couple years. And I think it was just so many things at once, you know, it only been married for two years at that point, not even two years. And all the expense, all the time, the late nights, the all this stuff is just all new and hard and confusing and expensive. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, it looks great, man. I mean, thank you. These pictures on the website, it just looks fantastic. It used to, according to, <laughs> according to a session drummer that I have, who's one of my best friends, uh, it used to look like a hospital. So <laughs> he, uh, one time he came back from working in Nashville at the tracking room and he came in and he said, man, he's like, your studio kind of looks like a hospital. <laughs> and I was like, wow, thanks. I, clean? I mean, what, what are you? And he was like, no, man. He's like, all your lights are, you know, they're on, they're all on full blast. They're, they're all the same color. They're all like the sort of like boring plain white. And I was like, well, I, I don't have fancy lights or, you know, Phillips hue or any of that, you know? And he was like, well, should consider getting some because the vibe in here is kind of weird. And, you know, one could take a statement such as that and say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I trust this guy. I, I've trusted him on, I can't even mention how many songs. I, I couldn't even tell you. Hundreds of songs this drummer has played on for me. And 
So I trusted him. I said, okay, well, what do you think I should do? He said, this, 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 go buy a chandelier, go get some cool lights. So I did. And lo and behold, I mean, it does look good. And <laughs> It does look and, good. And, and it's clean and still simple. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't like very, I don't like super cluttered, you know, I, I still like it to look clean and nice and everything. And I was really glad I took his advice because it does look cool. I, I'm, I'm not very good with lighting or, or things like that. I'm not a designer in that way. I, I just, it's weird for me. I, that's one of the last things I, I even considered in the studio is lighting. I just wasn't a priority to me. I was like, I, I'm trying to work on electric and AC and all that stuff. I was like, it's just not that important. So long story short is the lighting does matter. And I had lots of <laughs> clients after this whole experience come in and say, man, it looks great in here. It's so cozy. <laughs> and uh, it feels, feels very comfortable. And, and that matters, you know, it, it really does. Like, I, who am I to say that it doesn't matter? I mean, sure. I, I can get that way and say, I could work anywhere. I could work in a, I could make a record in a hospital. Screw you, you know? But at the same time, it, when clients come in here and noticeably mention it, man, it looks great in here. It feels comfortable. It feels homey. That's important. It's important for me as a, not really as so much as an engineer, but in the sort of producer aspect of things and in the studio owner aspect of things, I, I think it's significant and important that they feel comfortable and, and makes me happy as the studio owner makes me happy as a producer. <laughs> you want to make people feel comfortable because if they don't, they're not going to come back. Right. And you will not have the business. How do you get most of your business? I would say 95% word of mouth. Aha. Word of mouth is just like ever present. I should change the name of the podcast to word of mouth. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really, it really is. And I, I think the two biggest things are word of mouth and body of work, because we all know the same story. Your friend's friend's band says, hey, I heard your record, man. It sounds great. Where'd you do it? Oh, I did it with this guy. Oh, that's cool. I mean, three months later, they go check out your website. They call you up and there it is. You know, maybe they don't like what's on your website and that's cool. If they don't like what's on your website, it probably wouldn't be a good process anyway to work together. You know, um, if you if they don't like the work that you do, why would they hire why should you work with them whether yeah. or not they'd hire you you know I, I i try to be more discerning as the years go on about who i work with and and why and you got to be careful you know as time goes on you have to be more careful about what projects you accept because i don't i don't want to work on things that i'm not going to do a great job on to be honest and that i'm not the right producer for yeah Things can come back to haunt you, and if if you've done a good job, things can come back to reward you. Right. Um, case in point, I I was actually uh, I was hunting for an email for a client. I was looking for the original source email, which came through my website, and I I couldn't find it. But then I in the search, I was like, wait a minute, who's this? And it was an email I had missed from uh, probably two weeks ago, and it was from a client from. I don't know, probably 16 years ago. Wow. Said, hey, man, uh, just checking in. Uh, we, uh, the band's back together and we did some work at this other place and it turned out okay, but not as good as what we did with you many, many, many years ago. Sure. Uh, so, you know, maybe we can talk about a remix, maybe a remaster. We don't know. But regardless, we're just happy to see that you're still out there, you know, 
churning along and I thought, thank God I did a good job right. on that. Right. Otherwise, well, you know, maybe I wouldn't have even got an email. Maybe I don't get emails for the ones that I didn't do a good job on. So Sure. And that's I think that's probably for everybody's benefit, you know? I I kinda accept the fates. If you don't do a don't do well on a project, it's probably because like in all honesty, it's probably because you didn't really like it. But there's also the perspective too. I think that um and may, and tell me if you agree with me. Sometimes maybe you think you don't do as good of a job and you listen to it and you go, yeah, that was when I was doing those techniques. And now I'm doing these techniques and I'm so much better now. But the experience that people have in the past with you might have been so positive that it overshadows any kind of technical flaw you may see in the sure. recording. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I totally agree. It's definitely fair, I think. And it the experience itself and how the clients grow with you, I think is really important. And what I mean is, you know, you record a band when they, when they're new, they've been a band for two years. And let's say someone's been recording for three years. Well, you're both new. And so there's like, your mix maybe wasn't very good, but maybe their playing wasn't very good. And, and the whole product comes out and the experience was fun and everyone had a good time. Their fam, their family and friends bought it at the local shows and it was all a good time. And 15 years later, you could be getting an email from that client and you're thinking, man, we were both so bad back then. But <laughs> I think as, you know, as time went on, you get better and also they get better as musicians. And so their ear is more discerning and, but they listen back and think for what it was, we did a great job. It didn't cost us a lot. It was a fun experience, whatever the pros list is you know yeah and i guess the the goal would be to keep the pros list as long as possible and the cons is short shout out to our friends over at roswell pro audio who helped make the working class audio podcast possible recently had the pleasure of using their mini k47 mic which is priced at 299 on a Marshall cabinet. And I got to tell you, it sounded absolutely amazing. And that's going to be part of my setup from here on out. So if you want to check it out, go over to roswellproaudio.com and they do offer free shipping. But if you really want to help our cause with them, make sure on the checkout when you're buying a mic that you include the code WCA free ship. And that way they know that you came from us and you heard about Roswell Pro Audio from Working Glass Audio. So there it is. Check it out. Roswellproaudio.com. Let's talk about Tulsa. Sure. Tell me about the e the the musical recording ecosystem of Tulsa and what what that experience is like for you. Were you born and raised there? Born and raised, yeah. I I really enjoy Tulsa and it's it's one of those cities that is uh, always on the always on the climb. You know, we're always trying to dig ourselves out of this or that and it, it's gotten so much better over the years and I've seen I've seen Tulsa overcome a lot and it's it's a great place. I really like being here. The music scene to me is it's easy to take for granted because I've had tons of friends who have left Tulsa as they've gotten older, gotten married, got had kids, moved away, got jobs. And a lot of them have said, man, Tulsa really had a lot of good music. Like, it's hard to find a good local show here, wherever it may be. I, a friend of mine is in Boston right now, and he's having trouble finding good players and good people to jam with, good people to be in bands with, good local shows. And 
I mean, obviously this isn't the case with the Brooklyn or Nashville or LA. I mean, you can find music mm-hmm. on every corner, right? Right. But say uh, Bozeman, Montana, how many local sh- good local shows are? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's the Gibson factory, so hopefully some. Um, but the music scene here is great, really. I think in the in a very broad sense, we don't have quite the infrastructure of a Nashville or an L.A., but we have a lot of music history here. We have a lot of people who love music. We have some great venues. We have tons of tons of players. I think that's one of our biggest strengths is players. A lot of the people who aspire to be, I don't know, American Idol or, you know, well, I, don't, I don't know what people aspire to be in that regard, but the next Justin Timberlake or whoever, they end up moving. That's very common. The people who are seeking the sort of fame road, whatever mm-hmm. that road is, they'll either go to Nashville or LA or whatever. But um, we have a lot of fantastic players here. Players that I would stack up against a lot of guys from Nashville that I know and I've had friends hear tracks that these guys have played on and say, man, those guys are just as good as maybe not the A, triple A guys, you know what I mean? Like from Nashville, not the Steve Lukather's or the those guys with 30, 40 years experience, maybe not that level, but they're just as good as any A guy that gets hired all the time, like, a, you know, a Josh Fries or, a, you know, tons of great players. And I... I'm I'm really impressed by the by the amount of good players we have here and the and the amount of creativity the the melting pot of genres the willingness to try new things in music I think people often have this image of Oklahoma and Oklahoma's a, it is a bit of a strange place because we're kind of in the south but we're also kind of in the southwest and we're also kind of in the midwest we're kind of right in the middle of all of that yeah and we have this interesting mix of cultures and interesting mix of people and ideas from a food perspective alone i mean you got some you got kind of a, a an eclectic blend of lebanese steakhouses <laughs> coney island hot dogs and southern home style food so i can imagine you know it's 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 a it's a, a mix of, of of people and and culture and food there and then plus you also have uh you have two universities right yeah i it's it's not enough but we do have two, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not a well. How many yeah. how many universities does one town need? <laughs> well, I, I think the biggest problem. It's the same. It, University of Tulsa is a great place. That's where I went to school. It's just prohibitively expensive, and it's a private school. It's very small. I mean, mm. six thousand students. I mean, it's small, and uh, it's really expensive. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a great school, fantastic school, top one hundred school apparently, but. One of the reasons even that people will move from Tulsa to, say, Oklahoma City is for the number of universities down there. There are easily triple the number. And that's a big reason why people end up moving somewhere in their young age is for college. And so a lot of people, when I was growing up in high school, where are you going to college? Where are you going to college? Not many people were staying here because it was either go to community college for free or cheap or go to an expensive private school. That was kind Mm -hmm. of the option. And so most people ended up going to Norman, Oklahoma City, Edmond, these sort of cities down towards the center of Oklahoma. 
and it's because they have way more universities. The the elephant in the room for Oklahoma, and that's tornadoes. So uh, <laughs> the most recent, of course, I think was the major one was August 6, 2017. Is that correct? Honestly, I can't remember. We have so many. I, we had one in Moore. It was terrible. We've had so many bad. I mean, I can probably think of at least five really significant ones. How does that affect your insurance for the studio? Oddly enough, I I don't know how much it does because I think it's so common that most insurance around here includes that. But I'm I'm honestly not sure how it affects this the like I don't pay for separate tornado insurance. Right, right, I'll, right. I, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what percentage or if there how much is factored in. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it has to be with with it. And now we have earthquakes here too. That's another. Reason. Oh, we've had those forever. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> you get used to that. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny just because they they I I've lived here my whole life and I never felt an earthquake until must have been 2011 or 12. Okay. First earthquake I've ever felt in my life, and now we get them often. Yeah. It's. And of course, Le yeah, my friends from California Le are like, eh, yeah. every yeah, day. Tell me about it. Cry me a river. <laughs> what are the challenges you face with the studio? What What are your biggest uh, headaches? Technical or otherwise? Otherwise. Otherwise headaches. Definitely just maintaining, cleaning, keeping up light bulbs and keeping it clean. Mm -hmm. And typically, because I run the whole place myself, the band leaves for the day and I'm not really done you know, I have to tear everything down for the next band. And that, I mean, I probably end up out here at night after my wife goes to sleep probably four, four, four days out of the week for a couple yeah. hours. You're late at night, you know, 10 o'clock to one o'clock, 10 o'clock to two o'clock. I mean, I don't know. And that's a pain. I don't like that. I, well, I, I can't afford to hire a full-time person. I would, I would love a full-time assistant. I, I, simply can't afford to ha hire someone for a for a fair wage that I yeah. consider fair. I'm not going to pay somebody six bucks an hour to do, you know what I mean? That's unfair. That's not even right. Sure. I could find a college student who just needs a whatever job, minimum wage or whatever, but I very rarely can trust somebody in that position. Not that's of course not always true, but um, somebody who is in college, they can't be here every day. Yeah. So that already creates a problem. <laughs> right. And I, I work during the days. I don't I don't do night sessions. And that's that's one of the things that uh, we talk about compromise with my wife and those sorts of things. That's one of those compromises. I, I try to work 10 o'clock to seven o'clock and I do that Monday through Saturday. And I really try my best not to work past seven. So, uh, yeah, I, I try to work 10 to 7. I try to give my wife as much time as I can, as much of my spare time as I can. She certainly deserves it all the time I can give her. And it's a, it's a headache to me. Just I'll finish my session. I'm like, yeah, I can go home now. I can go hang out with my wife. And then I look around and say, man, there's food and trash and water bottles. And I got to take out the trash and sweep up and got to tear down all these mic cables and got to do this and that you know there's still a huge list of things to do at the end of the day very rarely do do i factor in tearing down into the price that you know i just oh come on you have an accountant's mind you have to <laughs> i have an accountant's mind but i also sensitive to the budgets around here you know and that's that's one of the things i 
it's interesting you mentioned what you know what's the music economy or the music scene like around here that's one of the issues is because cost of living is low and because it's not nashville or la i can't charge what i wish i could but at the same time i know what musicians can make at gigs i've I've played those gigs, you know, uh, we all have, and I know it's not enough. And I know that musicians in general are getting screwed in the, the industry as a whole, you know, this streaming and you name it. And so I try my best to, to do more for less mm -hmm. and, and offer as much as I can. Hey, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Audio Technica. They help make the working class audio podcast possible. You can find them at audio-technica.com. They, of course, offer headphones, microphones, turntables, turntable cartridges, as well as many accessories that you might need, like headphone replacement cables and headphone pads. The great thing is, is there's no hesitation required. If you see something you like, you can buy it right there on the website. So check them out, audio-technica.com. And thanks for supporting our friends at AT. How do you feel about clients that you that you don't know coming to work at your place? Yeah, I would say most of the time I'm fine because I, I've talked to them. I we've I usually vet people. I would say kind of hard before I they actually end up being here for day one. Yeah, uh, I very rarely just kind of, hey, are you open today? Sure, come on, because I'm usually never open today. You know, I, I'm usually booked quite a while. And so by the time anybody actually can get a session, I've at least spoken to this person a few times, at least once on the phone. And I feel like part of our job anyway is to kind of read people, you know? And so yeah. I, I feel like that's part of my job is to read them on the phone and say like, you know, is this... Is, am I getting weird vibes? You know, is this is this weird? And I haven't had any issues. I, I I would say, you know, call it Southern hospitality, call it whatever you want. I I don't know, but uh, most people are pretty nice around here. And do you uh, do you diversify at all in terms of audio? Do you do audiobooks or anything like that? Do you uh, do any mastering work? I love doing that stuff, and I don't get a lot of it. I've done a couple of uh, you know commercial spots and VO stuff. I've done. Uh, one audio book and one, you know, that it, but not very much. I, I don't get a lot of that. There, there are a couple studios here in town that kind of have a bit of a monopoly on that stuff. They have hookups with all the news stations and radio stations and they're all old friends and all this. And uh, I just, that stuff probably pays a little better than working with musicians, but I've people have asked me before, why don't you try to go get more gigs like that? You know, they pay better. And I think it's because I, I'm a musician. I like working with musicians. I like working with bands. And um, that's I think it's more fun to me, uh, even though I do enjoy doing that other stuff, too. I think too much of it overrunning the uh, booking up my days, mm -hmm. creating fewer days for the musicians. I, I think it would I think it would wear on me. Honestly, I, I think I would. I would really miss working with musicians every day and, and getting in that world. It's been great speaking with you, and I appreciate the time that you've taken to to kind of bring us into Oklahoma and tell us about your particular story, and uh, thank you again. 
Sure. Yeah. And uh, I should also mention, I've got a podcast, too. <laughs> oh, you do? I Let's, do. What, and your podcast is? Uh, my podcast is called Recording Lounge. And I've had that podcast a long time. And it's definitely something I, I don't have a lot of spare time to do. I really wish I had more time to do it. Listeners, if uh, you want to go and check that out, that'll be in the show notes for today. And then, of course, the website that you want to check out is theclosetstudios.com, and uh, you can see everything about Kindle and uh, this fantastic studio that he's got. It's beautiful. So, uh, well, awesome. Thank you so much, Kendall. I appreciate it. It's great to have you on, and uh, I look forward to meeting you in person at some point. I have not spent a lot of time in Oklahoma, but uh, should I find myself there, I will look you up. Yeah, please do. I'll give you a place to stay, and uh, we'll go eat some Mediterranean food or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Mediterranean food in Oklahoma. All right. There you go. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too. Kendall Osborne here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a chance, stop by our sponsors' websites and pay them a visit. Uh, they help make the Working Class Audio Podcast possible. That's Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Gearsluts.com, Roswell Pro Audio, and the License Lab. And, of course, we want to thank Mr. Cliff Truesdell, Mr. Chuck Smith for their efforts on the show. And I want to thank you for stopping by week after week after week. Tell all your friends, check us out on social media, and of course, stop by workingclassaudio.com. Until next time, friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.